I wanted to create an agency where everybody's voice could be heard. I wanted to create an agency where we had shared values, where we could continue to learn from one another, where we could, where we, where I could continue to learn, where I could bring individuals in that would teach me and keep me inspired in what was new and different in the communications field, both internationally and as we kind of grow out. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. In this episode, I speak with Kirsty Layton. Kirsty is the CEO of Milk and Honey PR. She's built a firm that has won so many awards. Uh, it's won growth awards. Uh, they've been in the Financial Times 1000 of the top fastest growing companies in Europe. She's, they've had a whole number of impact awards, hot companies to watch, you name it, they've won it. Uh, and in this conversation, we look at how she set up such a high growth, high values driven company. It's a B corporation, values are very clear at the heart of what she does. She wrote her values out at the very start of her entrepreneurial journey. She stuck to them and she turns them into specific projects each year to turn the values into reality. She also wrote a document at the start of her business, which has actually enabled her company to scale so quickly. She basically designed it for scale, even when it was just one person. And we get into her heart, we understand what makes her tick, why she made a pledge to help 250 people from disadvantaged backgrounds get into a career in, in communications, and how she's done that even without being able to hire them directly herself. I love Kirsty's heart, her intentionality, the way that she's built a scalable business from the start to do good and to make money. Fantastic conversation coming up with Kirsty Layton. So, Kirsty, it's a really real pleasure for me to have you here today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's exciting to be on the podcast. So, what I know about you is that you set up Milk and Honey not that long ago, and you've grown it to be one of the Financial Times' fastest growing European companies, two years running. And you've also been recognized as the highest scoring B Corp uh, in the communications field. And you're also a real leader, uh, 2023 Impact Award winner. So you're kind of stacking up these accolades at an incredible rate of knots. We do enjoy all the shiny things in life. We do enjoy looking after that. Yes, thank you. It's been it's been really exciting. I started the agency six years ago now. So six years ago, it was just me. We've now grown to have a team in, in London, in New York, in Munich, and we've just opened in Singapore. So that's exciting. Yeah, that's, it's amazing. So what, I, what I've also discovered by looking at, at your story is... You seem to have been very, very intentional from the start about the kind of company you wanted to build, and you put some structures in place, as far as I can see, to really define that. So it wasn't just a case of going out and trying to find a client and then trying to find another client and then just seeing where it went. You seem to start off even in the name, in, in sort of your value. You know, do you want to just tell me a bit about your thought process as you got going on this business? 
what were some of those foundational decisions or yeah building blocks that you put in place well um i work in public relations and i'm incredibly fortunate that i've worked in in pr for god 30 years now and so the wonderful thing about building something in your 40s is that you've seen you know you've seen lots of different ways of doing things you've seen what some of the intentions are and the unintended consequences of not quite getting the delivery right and so um, I grew up in an organized in a family, sorry, where uh, both of my parents at some stage um, had moved from being employed to uh, to running their own businesses, and they worked incredibly hard at it, and were both in- incredibly intelligent, but they weren't very commercial. And I was always incredibly sensitive to the requirement and necessity to be commercial, um, and so was really for, for me what I what I focused on. So I, I kind of was able to do a lot of growing up and, and into senior leadership roles in other organizations before setting up Milk and Honey. So when I set it up, I, I knew that I'm somebody that requires and really derives energy from spending time with others. So I wanted, I wanted to create an agency where everybody's voice could be heard. I wanted to create an agency where we had shared values, where we could continue to learn from one another, where we could, where we, where I could continue to learn, where I could bring individuals in that would teach me and keep me inspired in what was new and different in the communications field, both internationally and as we kind of grow out. I wanted to work with senior leaders from a client perspective, so that again we were having an impact on their business, not just making a noise for their brand. And so there were some foundational values that we put in place. So bravery being one of them, because it stepping out and doing something slightly outside of your comfort zone is is always something that is uh, that is important. But I wanted to create a safe space where people could make mistakes and 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 be recognised for trying something different rather than being penalised for it. Energy is important. Um, I think you know when you've been doing. When you've been in the same career for thirty years, you need to you need to keep looking for new ways to to energize your day. Passion, of course, is important. Uh, respect for me is really important. That's respect for one another, how we speak to one another, how we engage, what type of what type of work we get to do, what type of clients we want to we wanted to to work with, and of course, collaboration, making sure that we're all kind of working well together as partners. So I created a kind of a shared ownership model, which was a little tricky doing it on your own because you kind of who you're sharing that with. But I, so I, I kind of set up an um, in the first instance an LLP, thinking that was the right way to go. So it was with me as an individual and me as a company, so that I could have that that kind of partnership model in preparation for going out and then and then growing the team. So I was quite purposeful from that perspective. And also I'd kind of grown up in ISO 9000 organizations as well. So again, having that quality infrastructure in place was another kind of pivotally important element. So that was something that we put in place very early as well. Yeah. So that must take quite a bit of time to do that legal stuff uh, at the start. Do you know what? Not really. I think... I think if you put your mind to things, you can get things done quite quickly. So I'm a huge believer in putting things into sprints and giving yourself um, a, a relatively short amount of time to get things done, um, and then putting lots of effort and energy into into then delivering on it. And so from that perspective, we've bought 
we've always been able to move quite quickly. So actually setting up the company probably took me about a month, putting the infrastructure in place from a quality perspective, it took about another month. So I think if you, if you focus, you can get it done. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Tell me about the quality side of things. So again, most people as a class of solopreneur, they after they've signed their business statutes, aren't necessarily thinking about ISO 9000 and quality infrastructure. So what, what did that actually look like? And, and why was it so important to get in so early? Well, again, um, you know, I'm a bit of an extrovert. And so to that end, I know that I need other people around me. That's where I gain my energy from. It's kind of outside of myself. And so I knew that I needed to to build a team. Ideally, I wanted to get to a team of 10 as quickly as possible because that way around, then there's enough individuals to be able, you know, that you can take time off without things falling over. There's enough different perspectives to challenge thinking. And so, so to be able to do that and then not have to undo things down the line, I knew that we needed to put a quality infrastructure in place. And so um, I started writing a handbook really straight away in terms of how we would you know, how we would do so, our filing, what our quality um, systems in terms of growth and development should look like, how how are we going to kind of run credit control and, you know, broke it down into all the, all the different sections. Um, and then we were, and then I got that validated externally. So it, within the PR world, there is a quality system called um, CMS, which is a chartered management standard. Um, so we got that, I think, within the first six months of, of being up and running. And then we got our investors in people. And then we uh, um, actually then chose to go the B Corp route as well. And so we got that within the first couple of years. So let's get back to these questions of values. So uh, energy, bravery, respect, passion, collaboration, loyalty. They're, they're great values. Some people might say, oh, everyone has values like, you know, we need to be respectful and collaborate here. Because no one's going to say, let's have disrespect and, you know, lack of collaboration is a value. So first of all, is like, I suppose, well, actually, let me add something else to that. Uh, again, if you're putting a cynical hat on, just for a second, for some people, like the whole PR field, right, could be seen as like putting lipstick on a pig, you know, like you've got some, you know, nasty company out there, right? And then they need to get some, a PR firm to come in and make it palatable for, you know, for consumers, right? And so... You've got these values and then you've got this, um, you know, this question of, you know, integrity. I, I, you know, clearly you're somebody who believes in being a force for good in the world. And so I suppose, how do you kind of like, how does standing up for these values and, 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 for, and for being a force for good work and has it ever cost you something, right? So are there moments where these things really bite and you have to make a hard decision? Yes, very much so. Absolutely. So for me, having... Those values in place is is critically important because it really starts to set the culture, and that has meant that from the get go, everybody that we've brought in t- to be part of our organisation shares in in that kind of view of the world. However, how they demonstrate it and the behavioural infrastructure that they put around it is personal to them, and that is by age, by culture, by you know background, socioeconomic background, etc. Um, and so their their delivery of it's slightly different. However, we do as a business try to make sure that we demonstrate our values. So for example, each year we take one of the values and then look to bring it to life. So the first year was around energy. It's like, okay, right, let's get going. Let's make sure that we're all that we're on as many of the hot lists and the ones to watch as possible so that we're seen as being a, a disruptive force coming to market and we can grab some attention from that perspective. 
we then kind of started moving in and thinking about um, thinking about loyalty. So that's when we then converted to an employee ownership trust where the business is owned by the team. So we moved legally from an LLP to a limited company and then to a to an EOT, an employee ownership trust. Um, and the, the team now actually own 55% of the business um, and that's all of the business. So the London team owns London, it's the London team owns everything. And so that again, having that, having that, uh, we have separate P&Ls in the different geographies, but everybody owns everything. And so it really allows collaboration to work. And also because I'm surrounded effectively by my bosses all the time, they ultimately can undo any decisions that they that they don't feel make sense. So therefore we're always making we're making decisions for the for the good of the many, not the few. And I think having that as as structurally part of our organization really kind of changes changes the way that that we communicate with one another um, because there's an absolute necessity not just to, to tell people what is going on but why it's going on, get their buy-in and ensure that and because quite frankly if I can't sell it to the team it's probably not a great idea so so it, it keeps you honest as well from that perspective then we started looking at respect and said okay well how do we bring respect to life and that's where I came across the B Corp community which for those of your listeners that don't really know too much about that it started about 15 years in the US and it looks at bringing organizations and holding them to the highest levels of ethical, social, and environmental standards. And then it's on a path to ongoing betterness, to constantly be getting better. But they ask their organizations effectively to rewrite their articles of association or whatever the equivalent is in, in different jurisdictions, and to move from being a shareholder primacy um, organization to a stakeholder primacy or organization. So therefore, effectively moving from being an organization that, that's there purely to drive profit for their shareholders to being an organization that is there for their workforce, for the community that they're, that they're amongst, for all of the ecosystem that sits around them, be that physical, social, or indeed environmental. And I just love that approach. And what's particularly helpful about it is it really shows you what better looks like so we were able to kind of follow a path to to really have that kind of guided view of what better looks like. So that has been a, a, a wonderful part of that. And so again, that's how we then brought respect to life. So it's not just that we're saying we're doing something, we're trying to edit everything that we say. Yeah, I think it's a, such a great model, the idea of taking those values one by one and actually turning them into projects, I think is a fantastic uh, way forward. So what I'm hearing is you've kind of got this complica complicated, but this interesting mesh, right? You've got this kind of EOT, employee ownership trust on one level, and then you've got the B Corp structure, right, on the other. As well, you might say, as you've got the values in, in, in another dimension here, but if you just look at those kind of more of those legal frameworks effectively, how does that then actually make decision-making? How does that affect decision-making? Because it is a governance structure. So concretely, what changes? So you've got this EOT, you said that means I have to sell it to people, but like, Concretely, if you have a business decision, what would change now you're a B Corp with an EOT model compared with if you had a regular, you know, regular business, so to speak, right? Without the It makes decision making much easier because there's 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 a, a filter. I mean, they don't give you a filter, you have to kind of, you know, devise your own filter, but there becomes quite a quite an easy filter to be able to put in place to decide whether it's the type of work that we want to be doing. 
And so for us, we look at, you know, does this organization do anything to harm people or planet? Does this organization align with our values? Does this organization understand what they're buying? Um, Because not everybody does with a comms perspective. And then does this organization excite us? Um, and then within that, within our, our our contracts now as well, we now have a, a code of conduct that we have on the, on the back of it, where where you'd hope that you wouldn't need such things, but you just kind of say, you know, you're only going to treat people as human beings and and be respectful. Um, and sadly, we've had a couple of clients over the years that that haven't behaved quite the way that we would like them to, and so we've we've sacked them. You fired your clients, yeah, yeah. And that has been enormously empowering for the team, realizing that we're walking the talk. We're not just saying that we're going to to be a people first organization that that looks after our team and and respects them and create a a welcoming and inclusive workplace. But should that be challenged in any way, then we we act on it and we act fast. So at this point, what's your ideal client and like? What's the ultimate, you know, if you could really make, make a magic wand and do everything you really wanted to do to really create the transformation for them, what is that? So what are you all about? What is your mission? Like, you know, I get the values and the structure and everything. So now you're actually doing the work. What's the impact you want to make? I mean, it might sound a bit grandiose, but, you know, I, I would like to be able to to work with organizations that that do good for the planet and do good for humanity. And um, there are a number of different ways of doing that. So, you know, we don't want to just work with those organizations that are getting it perfectly right, because that is not going to have quite as much impact as if we're working with um, organizations that are looking to to continue, continually get better. So, of course, we love to work with organizations in the renewable space. We love to work with organizations that are that are kind of bringing joy and happiness. Where we love to work with organisations that are that are having a, a meaningful impact in kind of human improvement, be that through health tech, be that through wellness, be it through charities or NGOs, be that through impact investment houses that are that are making a difference there. And I'm delighted to say that you know perhaps because I um, have a very low boredom threshold, but I really love that we don't specialise by any particular sector, and we're able to cross-fertilize wonderful ideas and, and ways of working from from one industry to to another and hopefully really multiply our impact um, in, in terms of, of the client work that we're doing. And I'm delighted to say that for every client that we've worked with for over a year, we've won award recognition of the work we've done together. So much so that in the last six years, you know, we've won over, I think, 120 awards. So... Again, we do that not just because it makes us all feel good, but clearly it does, but also to evidence the work that we're doing. And I encourage the team, so everyone from manager up, to go out and, and judge, you know, at least annually. And so again, we're always looking for that external inspiration. We're trying to make sure that it's like, is the work we're doing as leading as it should be? What are we seeing elsewhere from other innovators that are doing great things that we can learn and grow from? And to bring that back and to make it, you know, to kind of make it relevant for for the programs and campaigns that we're putting in place. And then everyone in our organization from intern upwards to go out and speak at least once a year. So again, they can really kind of internalize our messaging, our identity, and a, a true sense of them also owning this business. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. 
This is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book, Making Time for Strategy, is now available. If you want to be less busy and more successful, I highly recommend that you check it out. Why not head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. Where I want to go now is in the future, because obviously you're making lots of things happen. And so I want, to, I want you to consider you have got your default future, which is going to be great because it's going well, it's growing and wards stacking up uh, like newborn rabbits by the sound of it. And, and yeah, I'm going to put it to you that there is a preferred future. There's another trajectory where you would create even more impact in the world. Because I get it, you're somebody who really wants to make a difference. So what might that be? What might be something which really feels edgy to even put out there, to even say? Well, what comes to you that's like really pushing the limit for you? So as, a, as an organization, we have a kind of a five-year rolling business plan, three years of which have got a, a, you know, a degree of, of specificity within it. Um, and part of that has been international growth. I actually went on the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Businesses Program back in, in 2019, and I found that really inspiring, actually. That really encouraged me to be a bit braver from a from a growth perspective. Um, and so since then, we've really kind of stepped up our, our international growth, which has been exciting. But, you know, plans do not always... <laughs> plans do not always work out the way that you hope them to be. I mean, none of us really predicted COVID lasting as long as it did. None of us really saw, so, you know, all of the political change that we've had here in the UK that has been, that has not been necessarily helpful for for business development. And then you have key individuals that move around. So, you know, it's always, so we have a plan and we try to work to it. The way that we t- tend to approach things is is then making sure that actually if we if we hit a hard time, if we don't perform in the way that that we want to, then we we really we really kind of grow our way out of any situation. So, for example, when we did COVID, we really doubled down on our training and on our marketing so that we could grow our way out, and and, and we did. But to answer your question, where do I see myself in kind of in the future? Then. Really, it's. Uh, I don't want any one office to be more than forty people, because for me that that enables our culture. And I don't ever want to get to a stage where it can be, oh, you know, we need somebody from the digital team, we need a manager from the digital team to work on this project. I always want it to be kind of like, Imogen, you'd be amazing on this, or Tushar, come and help and 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 work on 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 this. This would be perfect for you, and just to keep it as as human as possible. But I do envisage that we'll continue to grow and, and open up new um, new offices, especially in the US. So at the moment, we opened in New York two years ago, um, and we're we're actively looking at other at other opportunities elsewhere around the US right now. We opened in Munich last year, and I'm not sure really the how much more in in Europe we might want to do. We've got some fantastic partners we work with in in there, so. Who knows? And then we've only just opened in uh, in Singapore, literally in the last month or so, and that's off to a fine start. But again, we've made mistakes. The very first office we opened was actually in Sydney in uh, in 2020. One of our our wonderful board directors in London was moving to Sydney. We didn't want to lose her, so she went out and opened up in Sydney. Just it was apocalyptic, actually, <laughs> in January 2020. 
you know, the, obviously COVID came in, closed the country down. There was then raging fires. And then there was there was also this swarm of locusts that came in. I mean, literally was <laughs> apocalyptic. And yet we did brilliantly. Caroline did a fantastic job of building our business, building our team, building our client base. But then because there was no inbound talent coming in to the country because nobody was allowed in or out, then when she went off on maternity leave, we just couldn't find anyone strong enough to to take over from her. So we had to put that business on pause. So, you know, it's not it's not all roses, far from it. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you for the honesty. Yeah, as you were talking about the plague of locusts, you're thinking, well, you've got the land of milk and honey, the plague of locusts. It's all very, very biblical. We should have some more of those in there. So there's a kind of, there's the, there's the challenge and then the stretch. So the challenge is like, yeah, I want to like grow this business. I want to open up in different offices and scale that way whilst keeping it very human and up leveling, yeah, the work we do with clients. And and then there's the what I call the stretch, which is what's it going to take for you to multiply your impact within that, right? So because we're always looking at our next level, right? We've always got, well, yeah, if you want to multiply the business, we need to kind of multiply ourselves in some way or, or level how we operate. So what would you say is something that you're going to need to work on as a leader if you are to perhaps fulfill these ambitions? I think it's about it's it's exactly what you were just saying, Richard. I think really fundamentally, it's about building some fantastic leaders that I work alongside, so and empowering them to build their own part of the business, um, and to and to give them as much space and as and as much support as possible, so that we can so that we can keep going and we can keep growing, and again we can create. A meaningful offer in different jurisdictions and different geographies and potentially even in, in different languages that's meaningful to the audiences that we want to that we want to be working with. So we've started to do that. I mean, actually within our team, we've got probably a fifth of them are at partner level. So that means that they're, you know, generally they're about kind of like fifteen plus some of us much more uh years in the in the industry. Um, and so those are are individuals who are incredibly competent and capable, um, and they and they're building out their own offer. And so each each one of those either has a particular sector, or a particular geography, or a particular offering that they're responsible for and that they're growing out, which has been really exciting to to see. And and, I, and I'm hoping that we can continue to do that. So within the structure that we've also got, so we have Hive Group that kind of sits above Milk and Honey in the different geographies, and that acts as an investment house, if you will, for being able to kind of invest in those in those new currently those new geographies. But again, when you go out and employ quite entrepreneurial spirited individuals, at some stage they may well want to build something themselves. And so by having that infrastructure, it then allows us to be able to effectively incubate other other offerings that um, that team members and co-owners in the business may choose to do in the future. So we're kind of trying to future-proof for, for some of that and, and think ahead. It hasn't, hasn't materialized yet, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm thinking as you're multiplying and kind of uh, creating these different offices in different locations with different partners, running them. What are the challenges that you see in maintaining, you know, in scaling that model? Well, it's tricky. I mean, you know, um, I have an amazing partner um, that I work with in the U.S. Paul, who runs our Paul Cohen, who runs our, our U.S. North American business. 
Paul and I didn't actually meet in person until we'd been working together for about 18 months. Um, because we were just, you know, we we're just over, over Teams or Zoom. We've had to be a bit brave in some of those elements, realizing that that was a market that we wanted to go for, realizing the type of individual that we wanted to, to work with, um, finding that individual, but then not really having anything other than a kind of a electronic, if you will, relationship. So it was, it was, it was interesting and fun when we, when we actually got together. Because the first thing you always do is like, oh, you're so much taller or you're so much smaller. Because <laughs> that's the one bit that you get no sense of, isn't it? It's people's height. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I always just make always joke, oh, you have a third dimension, right? You've got a big nose, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, 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 so thank you for this discussion. I mean, what I'm really taking away is, you know, you're somebody who's really, it was very, very intentional, you know, and structured in the way that you've gone about building this business, right? From day one, even when you were just one person, you set up a structure that was going to accommodate multiple partners and things in the past in, in the future. And you, you know, you evolved that, you changed the model along the way. Again, you put in the values when it was only you, I suspect, and that, you know, living your own values, which you already knew, but you were, and, you know, you documented the processes uh, for quality before other people were there to necessarily follow those. Uh, and by laying those foundations, it sounds like you've been able to create something really quite extraordinary. So that's, it's been amazing to kind of listen to, to that story. And then as well as, you know, get a sense of your heart that actually you want to, to make a difference. Before we leave though, let's, I'd like to kind of go back to that origin story. Because I know you know you've written in the past about about your mother uh, her, as being an inspiration. So I kind of wonder, like perhaps it's her, perhaps it's other parts. But what's the driving energy? Because you're an energetic person, I pick up that, I pick that up in you. What is the driving energy that makes you do all this stuff? Well, um, sadly, I don't have either of my parents anymore. They've been gone for some eighteen years now. Uh, so they went far, far too young. They were only in their in their very early sixties. Both of my parents were incredible, fun, dynamic individuals. My father was incredibly dyslexic and left school really not really being able to do very much at all. And he, he once showed me his school report that, that said, gee, this boy will achieve nothing in life. Anyway, my father then went on to uh he was in he was in the navy he then went on to get a master's a degree then when i did my degree he did another degree then he did a, another master's we so ended up with three masters and then he did a phd so it just again there was just that so i think he was incredibly driven and you know i think as soon as somebody says you can't do something then he would push through and, and deliver an awful lot and and so i i was very inspired by him um, and indeed, my mum as well. My mum uh, was a brilliant nurse, and it's very helpful having <laughs> having a mother who's a nurse. Um, but then she, uh, when we were all at school, she then kind of changed career and became a, a beautician working for herself. And she kind of did it for fun more than anything else. And she worked incredibly hard. She worked six days a week, and she earned absolutely nothing. And there would be literally, she'd open the fridge sometimes and just cry. And I just remember thinking to myself, I am not going to live your life. I am not going to be like you. I am not going to be in a situation where I can't afford to fill the fridge. That's just not going to be that way. I could just see it eating away at bits of my parents' soul. And I just thought, no, this is not, I don't want to do that. 
So I moved from the northeast down to London because I thought that's where the most of the opportunities would be. Um, I went to university. I wasn't particularly academic. I think I inherited some of my dad's dyslexia, not as bad as him, but I'm a little bit dyslexic myself. And I just, I just kind of thought, actually, you know what? I need to create as much opportunity for myself as possible and then do something that sounds fun. And I love the idea. I found out what public relations was all about. And I loved the idea that every day could be different, um, that one day you could be doing photo shoots, other days you're putting competitions together, other days you're writing strategies, other days you're presenting at, at events, other days you're kind of putting infrastructure in place for, for crises. And I just thought, wow, that sounds really exciting. And so I, I wrote to the top 150 PR agencies. There's a, there's a list that comes out from PR Week. I wrote to them all. They effectively said, bugger off. So I wrote back to them saying, surely not. And from that, I then got 15 interviews and 10 job offers. And it's just, and so that, that showed me very early on. No doesn't mean no. It means you haven't convinced me yet. And so some of these lessons I've then just brought into the way that I, that I work and I, and I operate. And I found that's, that's been really helpful and helpful for me, but it, but I've also been very focused on realizing it doesn't matter how hard you work. If you're not commercial, you're not going to succeed. And so that was, that was an important lesson that I got from my parents that, you know, they worked incredibly hard, incredibly hard, but they never seemed to financially move forward. In fact, the opposite. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing that. But the thing seems that I'm going to push you. The thing sounds like it's missing in that because actually what I, if I, Read at the service level, what I heard was, I always want to be able to fill the fridge. But I think at this point in your life, your career, you're going to be able to fill the fridge. I, I, I want, I now want, I want other people to be able to do that. So I, I, um, you know, I, I want to create careers for, uh, for young people, for older people, for returners to work where they can get involved in an exciting career and do something and do something different. So we, another thing that I, I kind of pledged very early on again, I, I made a pledge that I was going to help um, 250 people from disadvantaged backgrounds to get into a career in communications by 2025. Clearly, I'm not going to go and employ 250 people. So therefore, again, it gives me ways and a focus to be able to get. So I work with Brixton Finishing School to do some mentoring there and so do a lot of our team um we have a school's outreach program where we go and communicate what a, what a career in communications could look and, and feel like we have our interns go into universities and give talks on 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 what we're doing uh we have uh we have a an untick the box um podcast that's run by one of our senior execs that looks at that looks at people from diverse backgrounds coming into careers in communications and how they got involved and, and what that looks and feels like. We have a number of mentoring programs that that we're, that we're running. We've always had a kind of um, work experience program in all of our offices and internship programs in all of our offices every year. And I'm pleased to say that we've had, had 100% conversion rate from our interns into full-time staff members. And then I work with other industry um, and agency owners, uh, especially across the UK, to create new jobs and opportunities, and especially from people that are perhaps neurodiverse or are re-entering the market or are from less advantaged backgrounds. I also do some, 
I do some examination work for a, an organization called Socially Mobile, which is about helping people from disadvantaged backgrounds continue and grow within their career. Because very often it's harder for them to get in in the first instance, but then it's harder for them to perhaps believe in themselves and, and keep pushing forward and going into those leadership roles. So there's lots of different things that, that we do from that perspective. And again, I think that I, I find that personally incredibly rewarding. Yeah, that's amazing. I felt like I've just like cracked open some egg or something and it's all this stuff that's kind of come out. It's amazing. Uh, I'm with best example, best metaphor, but that's when it comes to ride. But I released some, yeah, amazing. I opened a box and all these birds have flown off and really so much energy there, right? Which I was, I'm really glad we just tapped into that because that was really, really inspiring, right? That, that you, that, uh, yeah, you've moved from that initial position of I don't want to be in that scarcity place of scarcity but you've really turned that into into a multiplication which which i love so um well hey Kirstie, it's been a real pleasure um uh, speaking with you i love your energy i love what you're up to in the world uh, i think it's just really insightful as well for other people to be thinking about you know how much positivity uh and impact are they weaving into their into the way they go about running their business right and 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 have they put into place some of those uh, structures and intentionality that you clearly have so thank you for sharing some of that wisdom with us and look forward to uh following the journey if people want to find out more about you about uh, milk and honey what do they where do they go to do that so our website would be the best place to start which is milk and perfect i'll put that in the show notes and let's say look forward to following the journey thanks for being with us Amazing. thank you so much it's been great chatting to you thank you richard thank you bye-bye bye well, that's a wrap. If you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast, where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.